0: When I arrived to the First Universalist Church of Essex, my home congregation, and Unitarian Universalism in general 13 years ago, one of the first symbols that I was met with was the large Universalist off-centered cross that hung and still hangs in their chancel. I would spend the next many months on Sunday staring up curiously at the small cross in the bottom left corner contained in a large circle of empty space. You can see an example of one printed in your order of service. The cross was developed in the 1940s and was meant to represent the Christian roots of the universalist tradition, but moved off center to leave room for other points of view, and other paths toward God. It was so different than the religious iconography that I grew up with in the Catholic Church. It felt invitational. And I found myself stealing quiet moments in the sanctuary during events and meetings to head upstairs and sit in the back pew and take it in. I reflected on my own spiritual journey and the symbols and truths and ways of understanding the divine that I had collected along the way, and how and where they might fit in to my circle. In my life at the time, I was in all that empty space. I was searching, I was seeking, and roaming around a bit untethered, and I would find deep healing in that space. There was so much room to move. Here I am reminded of a famed sentiment that Universalist minister of the earliest 20th century, Reverend Louis Fisher offers. When responding to critics of the faith who thought that Universalists didn't stand for anything or keep any one position, he responded that Universalists don't remain in place. Universalists move, he said. And goes on, the main question we must be asking ourselves is, in which way are we moving? Now, to bring this statement up to date some, we might understand it as this. Our faith is open to change, is always investigating itself and in conversation with the relationships and world around us, all that open space of possibility, and moving in the direction of a more just, liberated, and connected world. From the story we heard of John Murray earlier, so beautifully told by Zan, being blown by the winds, toward a life of religious wandering, to the early universalist circuit-riding preachers who roamed the country preaching this radical theology of our inherent worth and God's all-abiding love. These forebears, they were on the move. Now, they did this all imperfectly, at times got lost and went astray, but at their best, they kept moving, leaving something behind for the next to pick up, improve upon, and continue on. This, for me, is the spirit of universalism. It is on the move. A spirit that embodies the unconditional, ever-present and all-abiding love that moves between whenever we reach out beyond the bounds of our individual lives toward each other. I found and felt that love most deeply for the first time in my life when I walked into that little Universalist church in Essex, and I continue to feel it here. Certainly, the story of Universalism in Haverhill has been one of movement. As we learned from Josh, ours is a legacy of a faith community that is expanding with ever widening circles, their care and service to this world. The Haverhill Universalist believed that God's love was only powerful insofar as it was spread and moved beyond the confines of this building. But this movement is not unbounded. It is not scattered or without purpose or grounding. It doesn't move haphazardly or without direction. It moves toward something. There are things that root us. There are moments and times when we must face, head on and immovable, the injustice and oppression that shows up in our world, and ourselves. But that off-centered cross reminds us that our searching, our seeking, the breadth of the Spirit's movement through our lives is contained in and accountable to a union of love that encircles us all. And even that circle is not meant to be fixed or static it moves too. The love that we practice in our living, expanding our networks of relationship and accountability, working for justice, caring and showing up for each other, this widens that circle. Every point of connection, every intersection where we move beyond our individual lives and concerns opens up a channel or love to move. So this month as we reflect together on the legacy and promise of Universalism I wonder how does this spirit however you might understand it move in you? What is in the circle of your own spiritual lives and collectively as a faith community What have we integrated into the space around us? What might we move off-center or leave behind altogether? How do our symbols, our beliefs and ways of understanding the world intersect and open to each others? And in what direction will we move toward in the next 200 years? The spirit of universalism moves and with it so do we. While we live these lives imperfectly and our work never fully completed, let us open to this spirit that is the wind that blows at our back, the roots that ground us when our roaming carries us away, the movements that hold us accountable to our deepest values And the channels that connect us to each other. That great and abiding love that contains us in ever-widening circles. And will not let us go. Amen and blessed be. And let us lift our voices in song to sing, O love that will not let me go.
1: For me, what we just sang, that is the spirit of universalism. Oh, love that will not let me go. Like many of you, I grew up with some images and ideas of God as angry or distant, like a disapproving judge or a disappointed parent. And this is nothing new, right? Down through the ages, plenty of people have imagined the holy in all kinds of negative ways. But are they true, these fearful ways of imagining God? You know what the answer is, but I'm not there yet. (laughs) Back in 1741, Jonathan Edwards preached a powerful sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, in which he painted a vivid picture of his Calvinist theology. He said, the God that holds you over the pit of hell, much as one holds a spider or some loathsome insect over the fire, picture that, that God abhors you and is dreadfully provoked his wrath toward you burns like fire." Thankfully, it was only 30 years later that John Murray came ashore in Goodluck, New Jersey, trying, as we heard earlier, to run away from religion. But as we heard, there was a calling waiting for him here in America. People were hungry for a new gospel of love rather than fear. I'd like to be able to, if I could, to time travel back to Haverhill in 1823. And hear the voices of those first Universalists in this town. What did they wonder about? And what did they worry about? What were their hopes and their dreams? These people who built that building right down on Summer Street And you can see a picture of that building. There's a little display of some artifacts from our past in the Murray Room right underneath our mandala. I hope you'll check it out. And as Josh told you, before too long, those good folks had outgrown that building and it wasn't tiny. And they came up the hill and they built this church, dedicating it in 1894. They named the room out there for John Murray And they put this beautiful image of Jesus right up front and center where the sun would illuminate it on Sunday morning. Back then the population of Haverhill was about 27,000 people. And this congregation had a thousand members. Those must have been heady days, right? A congregation with a young and hopeful faith with Sunday worship so popular that they had to open up these doors and set up chairs in that room dedicated to John Murray for their overflow seating. Are there things we could learn from those folks who put Jesus at the center of the sanctuary they built, and yes, moved the cross off-center, who took seriously this theology of universal salvation, who also in that room upstairs that is about to be wide open again, they made time and space to dance. Universalism trusts not only in the goodness of God, but in the goodness of people. That we don't need fear of hell in order to behave. That love is stronger even than death. Back when Reverend Bill Sinkford was president of our Unitarian Universalist denomination, he came up with a shorthand way of explaining our long name. He put it this way, Unitarianism, one God, Universalism, nobody left behind. I have to confess that I don't find the one God part that compelling. It was a big deal a couple of hundred years ago when the Unitarians and the Trinitarians went their separate ways. But who knows how many expressions of the spirit there are. The poet David White wrote, It doesn't interest me if there is one God or many gods. I want to know if you belong or feel abandoned. He sounds like a universalist to me. And I certainly hope that you feel that you belong here. And I love that explanation of universalism, nobody left behind. Amen to that. Don't we need that attitude and that commitment in these days? Nobody left behind. Don't we need that faith? Doesn't our world especially need it in these days? We try to be this big tent religion here and across our denomination, where at best we hold our theological diversity with care and with curiosity, where we know our roots and they sustain us and we are growing in ever-expanding expressions of faith and understanding. Last week, we had a more memorial service here for a dear woman whose family needed a church. There were Baptists and Catholics here. I co-officiated the service with a black Baptist preacher, which was a big honor. There were probably a sprinkling of UUs here too, as well as certainly some non-religious folks. After the service, a woman came up to me. I was standing right down here talking to people and she nodded toward our Jesus and she asked, what was this church before it was UU? <laughs> that is not the first time I have been asked that question. And I gave her the same answer that I've given before, that I take pleasure in saying out loud, this church was built by the Universalists here in Haverhill back in 1894. But I wonder why she asked. I wish I'd followed up with that. Why shouldn't a UU church have a beautiful Jesus right up front? After listening to Tori, I'm sure a few of you might be thinking, well, we could try to move it a little off-center, right? (laughs) We don't think Jesus is the only one or the only way, but his life and his ministry, they can still inspire and deepen our universalist faith, can't they? When I followed my wife to the UU Church up in Portsmouth 30 years ago, the minister there at the time was a creative and charismatic preacher who just oozed love. He embodied the heart of our universalist faith. Reverend Bob Carnan captivated us on Sundays, and when we became parents, he baptized our first child. Not too long after that, Bob suffered an aneurysm and died. He was only 50 years old. That loss affected many of us, and... Affected that congregation for a long time. You could walk in there today and people would tell you about him. We regularly, on our walks around town, we regularly walk by his grave. Where on the stone is inscribed a verse to that hymn we just sang that Bob wrote before he died. He wrote, "O love that will not let me go, I give my trust to thee. In giving back this life I share, my soul is called from deep despair to set my spirit free. This love and this freedom, this for me is the heart of universalism, now and forever. Amen.